0: Welcome to another edition of Now is the Time with Steve Bergson on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org. Now, here's Steve. All right, here we go. Are you Covenanted? part 19? All right, so we're going to begin in this part here. I want us to be focusing on and paying attention to... The connection between wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and covenant keeping. Okay? Because remember, in each part, for the most, mostly through each of the parts, I've had something we were like paying attention to. So in this section now, for going through Proverbs, I want us to be watching and paying attention for the linkages between wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and our keeping of covenant. And we're gonna begin in chapter one. The verse I want to get to that actually mentions covenant-keeping is actually in chapter 2. But we're going to read a bunch to kind of get this context right. Okay? Okay, so. Mislay Proverbs chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 1. The Proverbs of Shlomo, son of Dawid, sovereign of Israel. For knowing wisdom and discipline. For understanding the words of understanding. For receiving the discipline of wisdom. Righteousness, right ruling, and straightness. For giving insight to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, the wise one hears and increases learning, and the understanding one gets wise counsel. So, so this is Solomon. This is King King Shlomo teaching us. Well, why is he writing this? He's telling us this is the purpose. He says, "I want us. I want you to." to he says, "For knowing wisdom and discipline." What does knowing mean? It's a relationship. It's a close and intimate relationship. He wants you to have a relationship with wisdom and discipline. And he also wants from that, he then goes into the understanding of the words of understanding. That's an interesting sort of phrase. He wants you to have understanding of the words of understanding. So the word brings understanding. Problem is we don't understand the word. And that's again part of why I have made the argument in the case over and over again for there being Torah teachers. Because the teachers are there and anointed and appointed to help you with understanding the words of understanding. He says, for the receiving of discipline of wisdom, righteousness, right ruling, and straightness. So, I believe he's saying this because he is, after all, known to be the one with the highest amount of wisdom, that he understands and says, here, look, with wisdom and discipline and understanding of the words of understanding, we're then going to be able to receive The discipline of wisdom, not just the relationship with wisdom, not just the knowledge or information about wisdom, but now we can have it discipline us in righteousness and right ruling and straightness. Because, you see, I think up to this point, when we finally get to the word covenant and dealing with the idea of covenant in chapter two, we've been dealing with it from a much more black and white mechanical point of view. He said, do it, you do it. He said, don't do it, you don't do it. But it's not just about checking the box, okay, I didn't do that, I did this, I didn't do that, I did this, whatever. But it's supposed to bring a character change and a growth and a maturity that brings us a fullness of wisdom, of knowledge, of understanding, and a disciplining of our bodies and our hearts and our minds, bringing discipline in. I think that we can hopefully all agree that the world as a whole lacks discipline. We have a lot of things that are going on where people are, what we call them, either lacking control or even out of control. They don't have discipline. You know, they call most of the art-type stuff that people can do, whether it's performing with music or with drawing or painting or anything that's a craft, they call it a discipline. Because it takes a lot of discipline to have that kind of focus, to, to, to get yourself up to that level where you can perform and do on that kind of a lot. So it's discipline. When you see people doing um, something as, as, you know, whether it's plumbing or building or construction, you can see, or, or auto mechanic or surgery or dental work or housekeeping or anything, you could tell who has discipline and who just doesn't care and does it sloppy. Whatever it is. Whether it's business or sales or, I mean, I I don't want to leave any anything out. Every single thing that we could possibly do, we can do it haphazardly and lackadaisically without discipline or with discipline. And I think that if I showed you the work of two people, you can tell me which one had discipline. And so we're supposed to be covenanted with discipline. Applying that, that, taking this as an art, as a craft, as a discipline that we do so that we can actually do this correctly with all of our heart, with our strength. And so I want you to think of it on this much higher level than just a mechanically, okay, I didn't eat pork, so I'm good. All right, so I kept Saturday, not Sunday, so I'm good. No, but how did you go about these things? I mean, do you have the discipline to read ingredients on everything? Do you have the patience and discipline that if there's something in the ingredients, you're not sure what it is to go and check? Or, to, or if you know it's something that could be unclean and could be okay, to contact the manufacturer, the, the whoever made the product, to find out what they use. That takes discipline. Okay, Saturday. Sure, you didn't go to work, but what else did you do on Saturday that maybe you shouldn't have done? Are you delighting in it? Are you applying yourself with the discipline of Shabbat? Not the austere and it's got to, but are you delighting in Shabbat? That's part of the discipline. Are you finding ways to focus on him and bring your family together and focus on him and, and have discipline? Okay, because I I'm, I want to really shift gears a little bit with this whole covenanting thing to make it much more full and deep and 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 beneficial in terms of our whole essence and our being, not just okay. So I mechanically I didn't do that and I did this. He said to do it, I did it. He said not to do it, I didn't do it. But it's how you go about the doing and the not doing. That I think is so critical. Okay. He says that this is for giving insight to the simple. So the wisdom and the discipline and the understanding. And the righteousness and right ruling and straightness is for what? It's for giving insight to the simple. Now we all need to start off with admitting and knowing that you are simple. At least in this area. You may be expert in some areas. But when we approach this we come from a place of of a simpleness. And it's also the people out there that try to overcomplicate this. They usually miss the mark anyway. And they want to dig into things that, you know, well, this is way too simple. I want to dig into the, let's look at every letter and figure out what every word. They want to go into places. Well, so how about dealing with the simple first? Who was the, okay, we're talking about context, right? What part of context is who's speaking and who's the audience, et etc. et cetera. This book, we call this the Bible, the scriptures, whatever What was the general education and occupation of the audience initially? Farmers, shepherds, these are not university students with graduate degrees, Bible scholars, linguistic experts, they were carpenters, they did brickwork, right? And so let's just bear in mind that this was not supposed to take you know, an incredible education in a seminary or yeshiva to understand it. So it's giving insight to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the young. I don't care what your age is, but I think most of us can understand that when we are young in our maturity or in our physical age, which would mean that you're young in both, we tend to have a challenge with this word Discretion. And I think that's one of those things you might go back and say, I wonder if I exhibit discretion. Because discretion takes wisdom. It takes knowledge. It takes understanding to to utilize this thing called discretion, which is basically choosing what to do, when to do it, how to do it in the right way. Whether or not to do it. Okay, that's discretion. I think we lack that in a big way in the body. Well, not just in the body. I think the whole world has a problem with that. <clears throat> the wise one hears and increases learning And the understanding one gets wise counsel For understanding a proverb and a figure The words of the wise and their riddles Okay, so he's saying here, look If you're going to He says, first of all, the wise one hears So the wise one is doing listening, not talking So we've got a lot of people think they're real smart And they do a lot of talking They don't do a lot of listening he says, the wise one, I mean, you know, everybody always likes to say, you got two ears and one mouth. So we should be listening twice as much. The wise one hears. So it's not just listening, he's hearing. Hearing is much more active. Okay? You're actually hearing it. And he says, it increases learning and understanding. One gets wise counsel. So he hears and he understands and then he's able to receive wise counsel. And this is for the understanding of a proverb and a figure and the words of the wise and their riddles. And because, remember, we are told that he writes in riddles. He writes in parables. He writes in things that are not just straightforward. They take a little bit of instruction so that you would need that vertical process of going to an instructor to get these things. Because I was listening to something the other day, and again, the the relentless attack on needing any kind of teacher is is still out there. Oh, you don't need anybody. You don't need a man. You don't need this. The Ruach is going to teach you everything. Then why are we all on different pages with these things? Aren't we all filled with the Ruach? We'd like to think so, right? Well, if I got a group of people, and let's say I knew that I knew that I knew that they were all filled with the Ruach, I promise you they're not going to all agree on everything. Because it doesn't work that way. That's not the structure he put in place. It wasn't my choice. It's his choice, right? That's the structure he put in place. The fear of Yahweh, verse 7, is the beginning of knowledge. So if you haven't listened to that teaching yet, you need to go and listen to it. Fear of Yahweh. You must understand your relationship to Yahweh and where this idea of fear. And it's not fear like just petrified, afraid, you know, that kind of thing. It's an awe, a reverence that you could have to make you afraid, to disappoint, to let down. So the thing you're most afraid of is having him look at you with his head down, just like, I can't believe you just did that. Why would you do that? All these things I've done for you, why would you do that? That's the fear that we should have. So I just summarized however many parts in one sentence, okay? He says, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. This is why in Deuteronomy ten twelve, 12, I can go there for a second, okay? I believe this is where Moses is telling us, Yahweh is telling Moses to tell us, this is the process of going from nothing into full covenant in a relationship with Yahweh. Step one, it says, and now Yisrael, what is Yahweh your Elohim asking of you? Step one, to fear him. Step two, to walk in all his ways. Because if you have awe, respect, and fear, and reverence for him, you would want to do what he says, which essentially is the covenant, right? I speak, you do. He says, and then to love him. We've said this a million times, but it bears saying again. To love him, why would we love him at that point? Because if you're walking in his ways, you see how much he loves you. Because you see that walking in his ways brings blessing, safety, and transformation. And so how much love do you feel from him in walking in his ways? Some of you know what it's like, most of you hopefully know what it's like, to look forward to Shabbat because you need that break. Some of you, by the time you get to Friday afternoon, are like, I'm just up to beyond, and then you realize, ah, oh, it's Shabbat tomorrow. I could just put it all aside. That's love that he has for you. See, people think about, well, uh, you know, uh, you have to keep the Sabbath and it's all day, what a burden. No, what a blessing. And so you walk in all his ways and then you fall in love with him because you see how much he loves you and then you desire to serve Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart and with all your being. And to guard the commands of Yahweh and his laws, which, Yah- which Moses was commanding that day, which were for our good. And please ignore that question mark in the Scriptures version. I don't know, is it in the new version also? It does? Okay, there's no punctuation in Hebrew, so they arbitrarily decided that was a question. Not a question. He's saying, guard the commands and his laws that are commanded today for your good. Because they're for your good. So now here we are in Proverbs and he's telling us the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. And with that knowledge, that relationship with Yahweh, we would desire to then walk in all his ways. And then walking in his ways, we'd fall in love with him and then want to serve him and want to guard his commandments. So it's the beginning of knowledge. Let's always remember that. I don't know if that's going to work in the sentence. Let me start again. Let's remember that almost always when you see knowledge, it's talking about a relationship. It's not information. So he's not saying the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of an information. It's the beginning of a relationship with him and knowing what he's all about and the relationship that he wants to have with you. Let's be understanding that. So then he says... Fools despise wisdom and discipline. So he basically just went through all of this good stuff and just said, and if you're not in line with all that I just said, you are a fool. You are a fool. That's foolishness. Foolishness is the opposite of wisdom. Continuing, he says, My son, heed the discipline of your father. and Do not forsake the Torah of your mother. For they are a fair wreath on your head and chains about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in. Now, let me just go back to the wreath on the head and the chains on the neck thing. I'm not going to break these things down too much into all the metaphors. But you know what? When you see chains about the neck, I don't want you to think about shackles. What did they give Daniel? They gave him a chain around the neck, a symbol of authority, a symbol of being, uh, well, pleasing in the king's sight. Okay, so it's think of it more of an adornment. Because sometimes people might read that and say, see that? The Torah? It's chains around your neck. (laughs) No, it's a, it's a, um, a symbol of being cared for and then bearing some authority. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in. Okay. So now this is the beginning of the battle of the book. When I mean the book, the book of Proverbs, actually, it's the battle of the whole book. The story of Proverbs is going to be, from this point forward, mostly about wisdom, righteousness, discipline, understanding, knowledge, etc., and those that would try to lead you in the wrong direction. This enticing. And so we see this starting to play out right here. You'll see it in chapter 2. you see it in chapter 3. you see it in chapter 4. It continues through. In other words, Solomon's telling us this is going to happen. You're going to have those that are going to entice you. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like the grave and entirely like those going down to the pit. Let us find all precious goods. Let us fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil, and they hurry to shed blood. Now bear in mind that this is absolutely literal, but it's also metaphorical. We're not just talking about literally lying in ambush to go ahead and kill somebody literally. Although I'm sure that that is included in this. But we're talking about the ultimate death. Those that would lead you away from Yahweh and Torah observance and what he has said to do from the covenant into something that's false and is only going to lead to death. And how many times do we find people who will find those that are quote-unquote innocent, they're new, they don't have those roots deep like the parable of the sower, and they will go ahead and try and grab a hold of these people to lead them into something that's only going to lead to death. It doesn't look like it's going to lead to death. It looks innocent enough. It may even seem right to you. Of course, we know from Scripture, the way that seems right to a man leads to death. We don't know. We don't even know which way to put our feet. But we're going to see, I want you to keep in mind here, the first default reaction, most people probably is, that he's talking about those outside the camp. That would do the enticing. We're going to see by the time we get to chapter 2, that it also could be talking about those inside the camp. But they're Remember we got the wheat and tares inside the camp And we're not to try to figure out who's who We just got to do what we got to do And be careful with ourselves Because we can't be judging anybody else But realize this is not just Oh as long as I'm inside the camp I'm safe No you're not Because the tares are still in the camp You know the anti-messiah Agenda We'll call it Was even active in Yeshua's day And the other disciples talk about it in their writings. So it's not like, and those are talking about people inside the camp. And look at Judas, he was inside the camp. He was one of the twelve. Okay, so let's not just think, well, you know, I don't hang out with anybody outside the camp anyway, so I don't need to pay attention to this. No, you do. You do need to pay attention to this. Because it's not just literal, like, only worry about people saying, hey, let's go over and murder this person. Because that might be something that most of us, hopefully, would be very easy to go, I'm not in on that. But there's lots of other ways that we can kill people or lead them to a place that's going to end up in death. And so we need to understand that it's a lot deeper than that. You know, when it talks about, excuse me, verse 16, for their feet run to evil and they hurry to shed blood. We have this also in Proverbs chapter 6. And so a lot of you know about Proverbs 6, the six matters Yahweh hates. And so in chapter 6, verse 16, it's the same verse number. Look at that. Isn't that interesting? It probably means nothing, but it's just, just interesting. Okay. Some of you got excited. Like, wow, is that important? No. Okay. But it's verse 16 in Proverbs 1. It's also verse 16 in Proverbs 6. These six matters Yahweh hates and seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hand shedding innocent blood, a heart deceiving, wicked, devising wicked schemes, and feet quick to run to evil. A false witness breathing out lies, and the one who causes strife among brothers. That's the kind of stuff that's in chapter six. It's the same stuff he's talking about in chapter one. So this is why I'm telling you it's about inside the camp, not just outside the camp. It is both. Okay? And he tells you these, by the way, this is why you need to read the whole scriptures. Because if you just read chapter one without ever getting to chapters two, three, four, five, and six, you would not understand what this particular author, you know, what Shlomo is talking about. You need to know context, context, context. What phrases does this particular writer use? What does he mean when he uses them? Like, for example, we talk about this with Shaul. When Shaul talks about, when Paul talks about circumcision and uncircumcision, he's not talking about circumcision. I know that doesn't make any sense. He's simply talking about those born Jewish or in the covenanted by birth and those who are not born in. It's simply about the status when they were born. But that's, you have to know Paul enough to understand what he uses that phrase for. So here we're learning what Shlomo uses the phrase, where he's talking about the idea of running to do evil and to shed innocent blood, etc. He used the same phrase here in chapter one. We go further on; we see how he uses it again. We can start to see how he links it. Here he's linking it to things like a proud look, a lying tongue, you know, devising wicked schemes, breathing out lies, false witnesses, trying to create strife among brothers. Ah, do you think any of that might lead to death? You think people don't lay in wait to get some of the simple ones and the new ones and try to get them all involved in all that nonsense? I'm sure it happens all the time. Okay, continuing. <clears throat> By the way, you want to know what the Ruach does? The Ruach, You just watched an example of the Ruach right in front of your eyes. I did not have Proverbs 6 in my notes. But what do we tell you all the time that Ruach does? It stirs or brings to remembrance, but you have to put it in first. And so because I've studied and read, and I'm aware of Proverbs 6, and as I'm reading this, the Ruach stirred to remember and say, by the way, you might want to go to Proverbs 6. That's the Ruach. Okay? It's not like, I don't understand this, I'm just going to meditate and pray, and then all of a sudden I'm going to get all the understanding I need. That does happen sometimes, but that's not generally what we're talking about. You need to put the information in The Ruach is going to help you piece it together And stir it to remembrance as needed Now some of you are like But I don't know the addresses I know you might not know the addresses So look them up in a concordance The address meaning the chapter, the verse But you, your brain to go What's that one about the six things, the seven thing? You should know what that is And then be, you know Okay now, Of course I got to look up a and my wife, the Rebison, over here because she did such a tremendous program for the youth on Proverbs 6. Okay? Are we doing it again next feast at Passover? I think I'll be doing it again. There you go. <clears throat> so that'll be exciting for the children to learn that one again. Okay, now, back to chapter 1. So, again, I'm, I'm slowed down here to make sure that we understand the context so we can see that Shlomo's talking about interactions among brethren and how that could lead to laying in wait, causing division, causing issues that could lead to death. And I'm not talking about death like in this life, like somehow you're going to just get you know, set up and people are going to jump you and kill you or something, but just you're going to lead down a path that leads to death because you'll end up out of covenant. What is the path to life? The path to life is covenanted. The covenant offers you, in exchange for your obedience, and he speaks you do, life. There's no other path to life. Now people say, well, the only path to life is through Yeshua. Yes, because he is the pivotal piece of the covenant. Right? He says, I am life. I am truth. I am the living, walking, talking Torah. I am the word made flesh. So yes, it's through him that we have life. But not through him, just the physical being that took on flesh. But through him being the living, walking Torah. Through him being the embodiment of all of this. Not only that, but he was also the one that made the covenant. And you don't understand what I'm talking about. Go back and listen to, do you know the Father and the Son? So that you understand who they are and what they're doing. So back in chapter 1, 16, okay? So for their feet run to evil and they hurry to shed blood. For in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So, realize this. If you're on the other side of it, you're really only hurting yourself. But unfortunately, you're also taking others down with you. If you're doing these things, you're essentially ambushing yourself and taking others down with you. This is why I do not understand for the life of me, I really don't, why so many people think it's so important for them to jump in on discussions To teach and instruct and to set people straight like somehow you know. That doesn't mean you don't know, but you don't understand the risk you're taking. That doesn't mean you should never say anything, but you ought to be, ah, what was that word we needed to use? Discretion. See, that's the Ruach again. I said, okay, where am I going with this? Ah, discretion. We don't seem to have enough of that to know when to say something and when not to. When to get involved and when not to. And then even on top of that, if we do get involved, up to what level? How involved should we be? Maybe the best involvement is to get involved to steer them in the direction of somebody else to handle it. And that's all you needed to do. Maybe it's an urgent emergency and you need to get more involved. But do you understand the responsibility and the ramifications of your decision to get involved? Because it says here, be careful, you may be ambushing your own life. Here you are thinking you're helping somebody. I mean, there's a person right now, and I wish there was something I could do about it, but there doesn't seem to be, who is actively out there wrecking marriages because of her particular understanding of divorce and remarriage. And I just got another email about it yesterday. And if she finds out that you were married after being divorced, she will come in and try to wreck your marriage and get you to be separate. I don't know why she's that way. I've talked to her. We disagree. And she's the reason I did the teaching, divorce, remarriage, and putting away. So that it would be clear from Scripture what it actually says. But yet there are people that have their own little pet, whatever their issue is, that are going to insert themselves in your life, or try to if you let them. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times I get phone calls and a person is all upset, and they're. I'm like, what are you upset about? Well, this person who I met on Facebook said this and this and told me that. I'm like, do you even know them? Not really. Why are they upsetting you? Why do you allow people that kind of power in your life And you don't even hardly know them. Oh, but they sound like they know what they're talking about. Did any of you used to go to church? Did any of your pastors ever sound like they knew what they were talking about? Lots of your pastors sounded like they knew what they're talking about. And it turned out that they were wrong on a lot of things. So just because someone sounds like they know what they're talking about doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about. But we also have to be careful and use discretion on who are you going to allow to speak into your life? Because some of you will go on YouTube and watch a video and then be all depressed because whatever the person said somehow exposed something in you that you now believe whatever they said instead of checking with your upline leadership. I don't want to sound like a multi-level marketing here, but you need to go to the to the person that's up the chain, so to speak, that is a covering that you're going to say, I saw this, it disturbed my peace, I'm not sure what to do with it. Why, would you, why do you just... It's funny because... Your teacher will say things and you'll struggle to listen. Somebody you don't know at all says something and you allow them to totally disturb your peace. And that makes me sit there at home going, I want to just bang my head on the table. (laughs) I try so hard to share the information with some of these people who I know have been with me for a long time. And then all it takes is one, whoever on, on YouTube, to teach something that somehow wrecks their whole everything. And then they'll talk to me and it'll take me an hour to unravel all that to explain why the person on YouTube was wrong. But I, don't, I what I don't understand at first is why do you, whoever you are, online, whatever, allow that? Okay, you got some information. It has potentially disturbing ramifications. So don't own it. Go verify it. Check it out. That's why you need, back to Ephesians, the fivefold ministry guys. So let's go there just for a second if you want to turn there. But in Ephesians chapter 4, we're told in verse 11, And he himself gave some to be emissaries, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And this is their job. For the perfecting of the set-apart ones to the work of service, to a building up of the body of Messiah, until... And we have not gotten to the until yet until we all come to the unity of the belief and of the knowledge of the Son of Elohim, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the completeness of Messiah. Has that happened yet? Absolutely not. Now listen, if we don't go and work with the five-fold people, and at least go out there and find them, you are still going to be subject to verse 14. You're still going to be children tossed and born about every wind of doctrine, etc., But if you go and get the help you need, he says, so that you should no longer be children tossed and borne about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of men and cleverness, unto the craftiness of leading astray. But maintaining the truth in love, we grow up in all aspects, excuse me, all respects unto him, excuse me, into him, who is the head Messiah. I don't know how how to make this case, you know, Whenever I make this discussion or this case, I always, I can imagine people thinking, Oh, you just want everybody just listening to you and nobody else, blah, blah, blah. No. Go find those guys. If you don't think I'm one of them, fine. Go find. You need, I'm just saying you need them. I don't know how more clear I can be. You need that guidance. Because without it, at least according to Paul, you are subject to being tossed and borne about by every wind of doctrine. Which, what that simply means is, you're subject to listening to something, not understanding it right, and believing it and agreeing with it because it was impressively presented or whatever. It may even be something more, I don't know the right word, I was going to say more insidious and more than, you know what, you may want to believe it because you feel so guilty about something that you feel you need to, that awful thing, because you haven't forgiven yourself whatever you did. So you may not like the teaching that I shared that said that actually that was that and then, but you can move forward like the divorce and remarriage thing. By the way, for all those out there who are thinking the only reason I did that teaching is to justify my divorces. Actually, people commented on YouTube saying things like that. Ah, this guy, he must have been divorced and he got remarried. I've never been married to anybody but my wife. And it will stay that way forever. Amen. And so no I didn't do the teaching to justify anything. But some of you may buy into a teaching out there because you are still holding on to guilt or insecurities about a decision you made. And so whatever the subject may be, it doesn't have to be this one. It could be any subject. You'll listen to somebody and you'll start feeling all beat up and depressed and why? Because well because somehow you actually wanted that. So it's an ear-tickling that wouldn't sound like it would normally be an ear-tickling. Because ear-tickling is not saying just nice things. It's saying somehow something you actually wanted to hear. And some of you want to hear that you messed up and that you're no good and you're worthless. and Because that's just the way other people have told you all your life and somehow you just feel like, well, there it is again. And you allow this awful, terrible stuff to be put into you. But you need to go find some of those evangelists and shepherds and teachers and apostles and prophets etc to take care of the helping of bringing the body together because the next verse had to do with so the whole body would be knit together fit together and you wonder why the body doesn't really mesh very well because we're listening to 500 people out there that have no part in the fivefold ministry and we're not finding the guys that are the body's supposed to be knit together by those guys can we agree? So your job is to find them. And it doesn't mean just the local convenient congregation we are is going to have it necessarily. It would be nice if they did. And sometimes it does. But don't just assume, well, it must be the guy in a local place. It may not be. But this is why we're dealing with these kind of things here in, in chapter 1 even. Because people are lacking wisdom. They're lacking understanding, they're lacking knowledge, they're lacking discretion, they're lacking discipline. And so that leads them into all kinds of problems. Let's see, verse 20. I guess verse 19. Such are the ways of every grunt. Greedy for gain, it takes away the life of its owners. Okay, and greedy for gain, I think, could be anything. Some people want to gain status. Some people want to gain notoriety. Some people want to gain money. Some people, Whatever it is, it's some sort of gain in their mind. It benefits them. They're so wanting this thing that will benefit them. You know what the worst benefit is, I think, almost? The ones who believe something, and the only way they would feel comfortable is if everybody agrees with them. So they need you to agree with them. And they will attack you, they'll, they'll badger you, they'll pester you until you agree with them. Or until you just walk away and cut them off. Because that's the gain they need. They need to gain an ally. They need to gain someone that's on the same page with them. These are the ones who come into congregation and the next thing you know, during the oneg, egg, during the meal, they're sitting off with people trying to say, hey, how do you feel about this little side thing or this little side thing? Because it's not enough that they believe it. They need you to believe it too. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the broad places At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the openings of the gates, in the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, would you love simplicity and shall scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? So what this is saying here is, how long, as a simple one, are you going to love being simple? In other words, accept and recognize that you start there, but that you just start to grow from there. Because a lot of people... And I do agree when the people out out there that don't like their being teachers, I agree with one thing. The one thing I agree with them is that you shouldn't just be sitting back like a baby bird with your mouth open. Okay? You should be reading the word yourself. You should be studying the word yourself. And then you should be verifying what the teacher says. And then when you run into things, if you have found a teacher that you believe should be your teacher, then go to your teacher with your questions. But a lot of people would rather say, oh, it's so much easier just to sit back and listen to somebody else and let them do the heavy lifting. How long, you simple ones, would you love simplicity? And how, listen, and shall scoffers delight in their scoffing? And there are people, I think, that really take pride in the way they go in and attack everything. There are people, and you know this, you see them on Facebook, you see them on YouTube, you see them when you interact with them in group conferences and conversations. All they like to do is attack and feel really great about how they showed how somebody was an idiot or somebody was wrong or something. They just want to scoff, scoff, scoff. Tear down, insult. It's all negative. I, You know what? I'm going to give you guys an assignment. We're going to turn, turn this into five minutes of life coaching. I want you, if you're willing to do this, to have a little pad or paper or something you carry around with you, and I want you to write down a little check mark every time you talk about people, every time you talk about somebody. I don't think you realize how much you talk about people. Not all of you. A lot of you have this problem. And then I want you to have a second mark, whether it was positive or negative. Okay? I think that would be a, 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 an eye-opening experience. To realize just how much time you spend talking about other people and whether you're saying it in a positive or negative light. Okay? Some of you are like, well, it was positive. I was trying to help them. No, no. You were, you're still talking about them, that they're, they're wrong, they're stupid, they're doing this. Oh, did you, can you believe so-and-so? Write that down. That's one and it's negative. We have no idea how much we do that. But that's the scoffing in some ways. We we just don't realize how easy it is to fall into that, and other people will draw you into it. And you go and you sit in a little conversation, and all we're doing is, oh, talking about people and saying not nice things about them. It also says here, it says, and fools hate knowledge. Okay, so those who don't have the wisdom, they don't want a wisdom. They don't want the relationship. See, fools are not just hating information. The fools don't want the relationship. That's the foolishness. You know, it's 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 like in, um, let's see if I can find this real quick. Isaiah 41. I guess the Ruach wants to demonstrate reminding verses all the time. Isaiah 41, 13. For I, Yahweh, Elohim, am holding your right hand, saying to you, Do not fear, I shall help you. See, that's a relationship. Yahweh says, I'm here. We have a relationship. I'm holding your hand. And then he says, Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. By the way, that word doesn't mean worm like a nice cute earthworm in the dirt. It means like the kind of maggots that live in dead things. Those kind of worms. He says, I shall help you, declares Yahweh, your Redeemer, your apart one of Israel. But why is he saying verse 14? Because he said, I want a relationship with you, but you won't do it. I'm holding your hand. I'm with you and you're still distracted by everything. Instead of just trusting in me. You're seeking your refuge in other places You're seeking your answers in other places You're seeking your deliverance in other places And when he says worm here I almost feel like he's saying You know, grow a spine and stand up Okay Because the picture of a worm to me Is this loose thing that has no structure to it It's just no There's no backbone to it It's just, you know But see, that's what he's talking about here The same thing is in Proverbs When he says, Look he says, the fools hate relationship with the truth and with the wisdom. They don't want that relationship. We had a guy that used to be connected with us many, many years ago. By connected, he really never attended because, after all, that was his tennis day. But he always listened to the teachings, and we would come to some of the Bible studies and that kind of thing. But that was knowledge and information. should mean, that was information, not relation. It was not convenient to have the relationship that would have required the move from Sunday to Saturday and leave the giant megachurch he was going to and his high position in that megachurch because he was very wealthy. But rather, he liked the information though. Well, we could talk about the information all day. And then I would go home scratching my head going, but why don't you do it? Because he was a fool. I'm not saying that to insult him. According to this verse, he didn't want the relationship with the information. So that made him a fool. This is foolishness. Information without relationship is a waste of time. It's foolishness. But what makes it really foolishness is that you've convinced yourself that you have a relationship when all you have is information. That's where you're being foolish. You think information, by the way, it says, Paul talked about how knowledge puffs up. No, information puffs up. That's what he's talking about there. Because sometimes when we talk about knowledge, we mean information. Sometimes we mean relationship. Information puffs up. Relationship brings humility. Relationship brings fear of Yahweh. Relationship brings awe and respect and reverence. Relationship brings an understanding of you're you and you're not him. (laughs) And the difference and the gap between, as far as the heavens are above the earth, between what you are and what he is. It brings a humility. Deuteronomy 8.2 says that you're walking through this wilderness life to be humbled first. And then to be tested to see what kind of relationship you have with the Torah. Is it in your heart to keep it or not? That's a relationship. He didn't question whether or not they had the information. Deuteronomy 8.2 assumed they had the information. right? He wanted to test and prove whether or not they would apply that information with their heart. So it's all about that difference. Okay, I get it back to Proverbs. All right, let's see. Where did I leave off? Uh, verse 23. He says, turn at my reproof. See, I pour out my spirit on you. I make my words known to you. So he's saying, look, through the Ruach, you're supposed to have a relationship with the words. I make them known. I make so you can understand them. Wait a minute. Understanding requires fear of Yahweh. Gotta go back to that fear. And if you're struggling with any of this stuff, you go back and watch and listen to Fear of Yahweh over and over again until you get that. Because you haven't gotten that, the rest of this is just really interesting information. You must get that first. Then that because if you get that, what are you gonna do? Turn at his reproof. He said, I pour my spirit on you. I make my words known to you so you have a relationship with them because I called and you refused and I stretched out my hand and no, and no one inclined and you spurned all my counsel and would not yield to my reproof. By the way, this is being written after verses we know from Deuteronomy where he said, and if you don't listen, I will curse you seven times. And if you're still not listening, I'll curse you seven times more. And if you're not instructed by these curses, I'll curse you seven times more. They're supposed to be there to instruct you. He's saying, look, this is the nature, you know, we know that Solomon is writing to his son. But he's also writing as if the father is writing it to all of us. And he's saying, look, you spurned my counsel. You don't yield to my reproof. Let me also laugh at your calamity and mock when your dread comes. Some of us with our children will do that. Our children, as long as it wasn't anything too horrible, will sit there laughing. And they look, why are you laughing? He says, because I told you. I told you if you did that, that was going to go wrong. And now it did. Any of you ever sit there and it's hard to keep it in? Because if you know it isn't too bad. You could either yell at them or you could laugh. Don't mock them though. Okay? When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, let them then call on me, but I, I, I answer them not. You know? My real good friend over here, I watched him do that with his children many, many years ago. They weren't listening. And so they came and they were asking for something. And he was like, not listening. They're like, dad, dad. He's like, what? And then he was kind of like not listening. And then and then, and then they, he would say he would do something for them. And then he would just wait and not do it right away. And they're like, oh, what, what because that's the way they were treating him. And he said, well, I'll show you what that looks like. It was great. I enjoyed it, by the way. But that's sometimes what you need to do, because sometimes that's what Yahweh's saying here. He says, look, okay, fine. They don't listen to me. Well, let them call on me, and I'm not going to answer them. See if you like it the other way around. Because the children then looked at him, and they said, well, why are you not? He says, well, this is how you treat me. Well, why is that a problem? Okay? I remember actually being in the kitchen when this was going on at your house. Okay. But anyway, but here's the metaphor for it right here. Yahweh's saying the same exact thing. He says, I talked to you, and I gave you this, and I stretched out my hand to you, and you spurned my counsel, and you didn't listen, and all this stuff. They said, okay, fine, and then you're going to call on me now. Oh, now you want me, okay? Now that it's all gone I'm terrible. Well, he does want us to go to him when it's all gone bad, but he wants us to go ready now to listen. Oh, no, we just want him to fix the problem and then go on doing what we were doing. That's the problem. Oh, we're so contrite, and we're so repentant for like five seconds. And then, if he does come and bring deliverance out of that mess, are we actually changed by all of that? Sadly, not all that often. He said, let them seek me, but not find me, because they hated relationship with me, and did not choose the fear of Yahweh. They hated that knowledge, that knowing. When we look back at the teaching, I think it was developing the character of Yeshua. Yeshua. I believe I said somewhere when I was talking about the two trees, I think I talked about the idea of the tree of life is only one set of knowledge, only one relationship. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was saying, you now have a relationship with both good and evil. But for the tree of life, you only have a relationship with good. So it's not informational, because people think, why wouldn't I want to know what's good and evil? Well, it makes sense. So you know what's right, you know what's wrong? It's, if it was information, isn't Torah basically information about good and evil? So I don't understand why we shouldn't eat from a tree that's going to give us information, because it wasn't about information. Eating of the tree, now you had a relationship with evil and good. Eating of the other tree, you only had a relationship with good. So it's relational. Same thing here. He says, they hated the relationship with good only and did not choose to fear me. Didn't choose the fear of Yahweh. They did not accept my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore, let them eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own counsels. As a parent, sometimes you want to do that with your children. Like, well, you're not listening to me, so go do whatever you want and let's see how that goes. How's that working for you? Sometimes the ministry feels that way with some of you guys I've had to say at least once or twice over a couple of years with the same few people where they call and they call and they call and I know they're not listening and I have to ask them at some point why do you keep calling and they're like what do you mean I said I, I gave you this counsel this counsel did you do any of that no then why are you calling are you just taking a, a poll you just want a, a survey not that you have to do everything we tell you as ministry, but there's no point if you're going to keep calling and not do any of it. And I had a person get really mad at me and then try to split up a congregation that was affiliated it Was because they got upset because I told them, I don't know why you keep calling me. And it wasn't just me, by the way. It was Robert also, and we had the same problem. The person didn't listen to me, didn't listen to him, wasn't listening to anybody. Oh, but they were calling 2 in the morning, midnight, whatever time of day. It didn't matter. But at some point, I think it's reasonable for a person to say, If you're not going to listen, why do you even ask? I've said this many times, and I mean it. Robert means it too. I'm sure I'm going to speak for you, but I'm sure you'll mean this. We take seriously the counsel we give, knowing that if you do it, we're responsible for having advised you. We're not just giving you an opinion. Hey, try this. It might work. Now, there might be an occasion where we really don't know what to do. We might say, hey, you might want to try this. That's different. What I'm saying is when we give counsel... We are taking responsibility because you're in the relationship of trusting that counsel. And if I'm going to keep giving you counsel, you're not going to do any of it, and then call me up all whining and grieving about how everything else keeps going. Well, you're not going to do any of it. Why are you wasting everybody's time? I have too many people, and so does he and all the rest of our leadership, to be wasting our time with people that just want an opinion. Do you want counsel, or are you taking a survey? So here he's saying, look, They did not accept my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore, let them eat the fruit of their own way. And be filled with their own counsels. Because I think some of you, not always, but at times, you call up already hoping for an answer. And if you don't get it, you're not going to, you're still going to do whatever you want anyway. But you're hoping to get a backing from the leadership that what you want to do is okay. So you already have an agenda when you call. Be careful with that. For the turning because you know what? Because you may be, okay, let's assume for a second the person you're calling is actually an anointed appointed, a part of that five-fold ministry. And you call them up with your agenda, they give you counsel and you don't accept it. That reflects on Yahweh. If Yahweh put that person in that position... And he's not going to bless you. We talked about this earlier during the announcements. It's not here on the on the camera here for this teaching. But we had somebody stand up and talk about how they're now being blessed with this and this. But you know what? I believe a lot of that was because they have been in council. And they have listened to council. Even when they didn't agree with the council. And there's several of you in here that have had that experience. And Yahweh Yahweh blessed it even if the council wasn't always the best. Yahweh blessed the submission to the to the process. Now, of course, that's assuming that the person who sought counsel vetted out and was confident that that was the right person to get the counsel from in the first place. So I'm not saying you can just go to anybody, in you know, any kind of leadership anywhere, and just do whatever they say, and everything's going to come out roses. You have to do step one. You have to look for, seek out, vet out, and find an anointed appointed, which might not be easy because there's only so many of them, and they're scattered wherever they are. No problem finding self-anointed, self-appointed. Matter of fact, I had somebody accuse me of being that after they didn't like the counsel I gave them. Oh, well, you're just a self-anointed, self-appointed, blah, 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 blah. Oh, fine. You're just mad at me. You know. All right. Let's see. Where did I leave off? 31? Therefore, let them eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own counsels. For the turning away of the simple slays them and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me dwells safely and is at ease from the dread of evil. All right, let's break this down and we'll probably not get much further than this. It says here, the turning away of the simple slays them. Now, sometimes the simple decide to turn away on their own. But we're being warned, be careful, you may take somebody who is new and simple and doesn't understand, and you may grab a hold of them and say, oh, I can leave these people where I want to go. Happens all the time. I've seen congregations, they've been ones that I've led and ones that I've actually been a member of, and I've seen how certain people will gravitate right away to a new person, and I know that they're already trying to get them into an agenda. It's amazing how certain people always, oh, look at that. There they are, sitting with the brand new person at the egg again. Not that you shouldn't want to go sit with people and be social, but I also know some of the people out there that are still struggling with their agendas. And so be be careful with that. Now listen to the other piece of this. And I talked about this, in I think, in the last couple of teachings. We mentioned this idea of complacency. See, what happens is sometimes in your complacency, in other words, you're not putting in the effort to be Putting in the information, developing the relationship, doing your part, you become complacent, you also become more easily victim to some of this stuff. Complacency kills. Feeling you've arrived kills. Okay? What a show will tell us. Run the race to finish the race. If you're still breathing, it's not done. Don't get complacent. Don't think you've arrived. Because complacency of fools destroys them. Because that's when you get slack in your diligence. That's where you lose your discipline. That's where you maybe don't have the strength of of good discretion. So you get weakness in your discretion. You get weak in your discipline. And then you end up in all kinds of places you shouldn't be doing what you shouldn't do. Or become weak in doing what you should do. Because some of what you should do takes a diligence and awareness and a paying attention to do what you should do. The next thing you know, you're not reading labels on food. You're not showing up to services every week. You're not, you know, giving your 100% at work. You're not, whatever it is. You fall into a lackadaisical, complacent life, and then you end up messing up to the point where it can destroy you. It says, whoever listens to me dwells safely. Now, what do we tell you? Bring safety. Torah observance, if you listen to the word coming from the, from the creator of all things, if you listen to Yahweh's Torah, you will be safe and at ease from dread of evil. goes back to the fear of Yahweh teaching. I still would have to say, and I think Robert would agree, and any of those that help with counseling, that the biggest problem in the body still is fear. Not fear of Yahweh, I mean just being afraid. Just afraid. I mean, people are nervous, afraid. They have anxiety, which is a fear-based emotional state. They're not at ease. They're in dread. He said, but if you would listen to me, you will dwell safely and be at ease from the dread. We have a lot of people in a panic. Anxiety is extremely high in a lot of people. So this is supposed to be the cure. And it starts with the fear of Yahweh, with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Okay? And then it starts to grow and develop so that you can put all those things aside, knowing, relationally, knowing he's got it all under control. What do we call that? Emunah. Emunah, the Hebrew word for faith, belief, faith, trust. That knowing... That relational knowing, that informational knowing. He tells us over and over again, he's got it under control. But do you know that? In other words, do you have a relationship with that? Have you embraced it as part of that relationship you have with him? Or is it just informational still? Oh yeah, I know he said it, but I still don't feel it. Or I know he said it, but I'm not seeing it. because well, you got to trust it. Remember what faith is in Hebrews 11. It says, faith is the substance of what you cannot see. You believe it anyway, even though there's no reason to believe it. Because you have a relationship with the one who said it. So even if you don't see it yet, you still trust it. That's not blind faith. It's knowing faith. So it's a relational faith. Just because you can't see it right now in the circumstance you're in, doesn't mean that you can't see it in the big picture because of the nature of a relationship you have with him. Okay? So yes, you may not be seeing it right now in whatever circumstance you're in. But if you're afraid, if you're panicking, if your anxiety is really high because you lack, you're, you're weak in that relationship. Because the stronger that fear of Yahweh is, what's the subtitle of the teaching? Do you remember? And never be afraid again, right? If you fear Yahweh, you'll never be afraid of anyone or anything again. We're afraid of anything and everything because we don't fear him properly. In that fear, that awe and reverence, comes that confidence, that emunah, that relationship, that he has everything under control. And that brings what? It brings safety and ease from dread. Anybody need some ease in their life from dread and from anxiety? Your problem is that you haven't quite gotten the fear of Yahweh where it needs to be. Not from a relational point of view. My answer to you on like, well, the question is, well, how do I do that? Because I know all of you think, well, how do I do that? You know what? What have we been reading in a lot of the Psalms in the last couple of weeks? A recording of the events leading up through from point A to point B. How about going through your life and go through the events that have led you to the place where all these good things are happening and remind yourself of the things he's already done? That should strengthen your belief in your relationship with him. Oh, but I'm well. Wait a minute. You've been under worse things that have happened, and he got you through all of that. And you didn't die, and you're here, and you're still growing. And he's looking at you like, well, didn't I do this for you? And didn't I do that for you? And didn't I do this for you? What are you upset about? Why are you panicking? We have to stop that panic. Father, we come before you, and we are just so so excited about the book of Proverbs, book of Mishleus. And understanding from the wisdom you gave Solomon to be shared with us, all about the relationship that we should have with you. And understanding the, the, where wisdom and discipline and knowledge and understanding and discretion all come together, how they connect up with righteousness and where we should be wary of complacency and, and loving simplicity as opposed to starting simple and desiring to grow and trusting in you so that we could be at ease from dread father this is so powerful and it's so exciting in its potential to bring peace and shalom into every one of our lives into our relationships into our families so father please help us to truly have a relationship with the information you gave us today so that we can embrace it and have it be a part of us, and not only a part of us, but a part of our relationships with each other and with you. Father, we're just scratching the surface here, and we're just, with anticipation, getting excited about what's to come, knowing that this will help us to understand the relationship called covenant even more clearly. And so we want to thank you. And so, Father, we come before you now. Thanking you for the information today. Help, asking that you help us to not just have it go into one ear and out the other, but to embrace it, to go home and chew on it, study it, meditate on it, pray about it so that it can benefit us in our relationship with you. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you all glory and all honor. In the name above all names, Yeshua Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Now is the Time with Steve Berksen here on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time Radio is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org.